Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Why This, a Nexus Arts podcast. My name is Aaron Chupan, I'm the media manager here at Nexus Arts, an intercultural arts organisation in Adelaide, South Australia. On today's show, I'm talking to Lazaro Numa, a trumpet player and all-round great guy and musician from Cuba. We have a great conversation about growing up in Cuba, moving to Singapore when he was 19 with $18 in his pocket, and the importance of sometimes acting before you've got a chance to think too hard. And my role here at Nexus Arts, I get to talk to artists from all walks of life. And this podcast is a chance for me to expand on those conversations and share them with you, the audience. If you enjoy my conversation with Lazaro, I encourage you to listen to the first two episodes of Why This, where I speak with Nelia Valamanesh. She's an emerging writer from here in South Australia, and she had some really interesting stuff to say. And episode two is with Beck Taylor, who's a camera assistant in the film industry. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lazaro Numa. All right, welcome. That's good. Welcome to episode three of Why This. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. I am quite excited to talk to you today because you work in an aspect of the arts industry that I don't know much about. I wake up every morning and I listen to music immediately and I listen to music all day until I go to bed, but I cannot play a note. So talking to musicians is always a really interesting thing for me. Could you introduce yourself to the listeners at home? And tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I'm Lazaro Noma. I come from the small island of Cuba in the Caribbean. My dad actually introduced me to, to music. And in Cuba, you, if you're going to start the music, you actually have to go to the music school. And depending on the instrument you choose, you, the, it's, it's the age. Like if you're going to play violin or, or piano, you start five years old. But I picked the trumpet, so I started when I was eight. So I started studying music when I was eight in Cuba. So, so it's, it's based. So it's not. You didn't like have a. You didn't fall in love with the trumpet or anything. It was sort of assigned to you by age. Is that? No, no. I, I, I was actually in love with the music because what happened was my uncle was the sound engineer of um, one of the most uh, renowned Cuban bands called Irakere. It was a. Afro-Cuban jazz band, and it was. It had basically the the top musicians in in Cuba at the time, and they used to. Um, Travel all around the world back then, and um, I remember my uncle taking me to those rehearsals and see those musicians there, and it was very, very inspiring for me. But then when I was eight, it was a time for me to 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 do what I wanted to do, and then the hardest thing was picking the instrument I was going to play because I wanted to be a percussionist. So my dad, my dad said to me, "If you want to do that, there is a way that you can actually do both things." But um, he saw in me that also I love the trumpet. So he's like, why don't you try trumpet? Because I mean, Cuba in a sense, every single Cuban is a kind of a percussionist. I mean, the percussion is sort of the identity card for us in Cuba, you know? And um, I, I ended up going for the trumpet at the end. And I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm so many years down the track, I'm still playing the trumpet here. Yeah, and, um, yeah. do, do you remember uh, the first time you, you played or tried to play? I did actually. I was um I was at school and my dad came to pick me up and he actually bought me he bought me a really um uh, it was a trumpet that was it wasn't in the best condition you know it was, sure. but it was what he could afford at the time and I tried to get a note out of it and I couldn't you know I couldn't I remember that um he took me to my rooftop and there was a little wall in there and he had like a little piece of stone and he was basically writing on the wall. He was drawing a line for every note that I was playing right, <laughs> and then a circle for for the notes that I was playing wrong, you know. And at the end, obviously, there was a lot of circles, and then hardly any line, you know. 
and um, that was the beginning of everything, you know. And um, yeah, thanks to my dad that actually introduced me to, you know. Wow. So uh, your dad was a, a sound engineer, dude. My uncle. My oh, uncle. Your uncle. Sorry. Your but what? Yeah, but what happened was my uncle, um, because the situation in Cuba at the time, my dad, my dad is um, an engineer on telecommunications, and the situation in Cuba was really hard at the time. So my uncle said to my dad, "Why don't you come and help me in the band? Basically, just help him, help him set it, you know, set up the microphones and the the mic leads and everything." And it was like an extra um, job for my dad in there. And that, that way he was bringing me to the rehearsals, and then I, you know, I would actually see all the rehearsals and everything with the musicians in there. And, it impressed me since that um, young age to see how they were running the music. Like I remember sometimes they would go to a tour in Europe and the plane was leaving at, you know, 2 p.m. and they would still have a rehearsal in the morning. You know, they would go to a place that they would rehearse and they would be there from 9 a.m. to 11, you know. And then from there, they would go to the airport to go to the tour. So it was a really tough. Um, maybe tough is not the right word, but it was. they were very, into what they do and they're, they're yeah, sensible. Sensible. very disciplined very disciplined exactly yeah Hyper-professional. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well oiled machine yeah it takes that kind of kind of work I guess. Yeah. is that uh you said that had a big Im- impression on you is that something that you you know try to maintain in your in your own work now yes i do i try to i try to keep that um for me, the main thing was just seeing the passion that they have for what they used to do, you know? And even though I could say that the way the situation was in Cuba at the time was really hard for every musician to make a dollar out of it. And they were the best ones on the scale of people, you know? But still, when you think about all the effort and all the, the time that they used to put into what they do, the only way that they could run that was by having a massive passion for what they do, you know? And, and I've got so much respect for them because I mean, up to these days, you still see all those musicians. I mean, that that band doesn't kind of doesn't exist anymore. Um, they just put it together to play in festivals and stuff. But you see all the musicians from that time; they're still all having their own projects. And and you know, some of them are like 60, 70 years old, and they're still like you know love the music and play in such a level that it's very inspiring. You know. Do you think music keeps you young? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I really believe so. I guess a musical life began for you in Cuba. Can you talk a bit about the transition from there to coming to Australia, what that was like, and perhaps how you've continued your practice over here? So for me, what happened was you, I mean, I was going to school and then I graduated from school. And in Cuba, you don't get told how to play Cuban music at school. Basically, we have the Russian school because the, the Russians used to be in Cuba back in the days. So it's all classical um, but we constantly exposed to like you know uh, jazz and Cuban music and all that, and the only way that we learn how to play that is that once we finish school, we realize that the only way we can make a living is playing any other style of music but classical you know, in Cuba, which is I mean we love classical music and and, and we believe that it's a really great thing to um, start learning music with that um, style because I mean you your technique on the instrument you know develops from that. Um, and also, the, you know, when you analyze the classical musicians, everything, I mean, uh, the way I look at it, I look at all those classical musicians and I see what's happening today. And for me, I believe that sometimes 
the really modern stuff that I see these days sort of been done already many, many, many years ago. Uh, sure. you know, the, yeah, I mean, that's the roots of it in, in, in the music, like, yeah, I see it like that. And um, some people might disagree with that, but I, I actually believe that a lot of, even in jazz, you know, when I listen to jazz these days, I've seen a lot of the stuff that is, is, is happening these days has been done already many, many years ago by the, by the great, you know, classical musicians. I wonder how much of that is, is, is uh, on purpose or how much of it is just... You know, I'm always interested in, um, and this is a total tangent here, we'll get back to the mm. steel life story, but uh, I'm always interested in how, you know, each generation takes from the previous generation. Um, and sometimes we're not even knowledgeable, mm. or we, we don't even realize that, mm. that we're doing it, you know, mm. whether it's a story or a mm. painting, it's, it's got generations of influence in it. Um, and sometimes we don't even know that that's, that that's happening. You know, for me, for me, music. When I go, I'm a, a, a big fan of um, traditional Cuban music because it's a really deep well, more than than the commercial stuff that sort of everybody's used to, and you know, everybody sees on TV, on radio, and when they talk about Latin music, is for example, Latin music is just there are certain things that people have in their head right away, which is what being commercialized. But when you get into the, the real world, it's, it's, it's something that you you can go in there and spend your whole life in there and you pass away and you still don't know even a, a 1% of that, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, I don't see the music thing as, as, as you know, the past and the future. I see it as a, as a circle, you know, everything goes around. And, and when I listen to a very traditional rhythm, for example, in Cuba, I can hear it on the modern music. Like, and we have stuff that when I listen to the reggaeton these days, I'm like, what they're doing on the reggaeton is what's happening on the Changui, for example, which is a very traditional Cuban rhythm, you know? But anyway, going back to what we were um, saying before, what happened was um, I finished studying and then we started sort of hitting the street and, you know, trying to, to play that sort of music that could actually help us make a bit of a living out of that because with the classical we wouldn't be able to do much in Cuba. And I started playing with uh, a mariachi, actually. I sp yeah, mariachi. I, play, I played quite a few years on the mariachi. And at the same time, I was playing with a, a, a band that we used to play, like what they call salsa these days, but it's really like Cuban music. So at the same time, I was playing with voice bands. And what happened was a really good friend of mine that she studied with me and then she became a teacher in Cuba and then she left Cuba to go to the uh, to play in a Latin club in Singapore. Okay. So she went there and then a year after it was originally a female band and a year after the owner of the club which was Cuban he decided to add a few males to the band and she contacted me she's like look there is this opportunity here in Singapore for you to come and play trumpet and a bit of a keyboard and also do a bit of singing as well. Would you be um, interested in doing it? So I, right away I said yes, because I got to the point that I was feeling like in Cuba, um, I needed to do something else. And it wasn't about politics or, or, I mean, a lot of people leave the island because the politics, you know, political situation is, yeah. is quite um, different to the rest of the world. Uh, but for me, it was, main, it was mainly to uh, try different things, to go to a different place, to see different people. And in fact, I got to Singapore and um, I didn't have, I, I mean, we didn't play any Cuban music. We actually were playing Latin pop in there. Okay, okay. So it was a completely different experience. I got to ask, how old were you when you did this? Was this your first time away from home? That seems like a really big move. Well, actually, I, I traveled, before I left Cuba, I actually had traveled twice to a couple of islands on the Caribbean. 
and that was through the school. But traveling out of Cuba was a really hard thing for Cubans, you know, because everything was very close in there with the politics thing, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I went to Singapore and I spent uh, four years in there and I was 19 when I went there, yeah. Yeah. It was a funny story because I remember I didn't know anything about it. And, and I remember all I had in my pocket was 100 bucks, 100 American dollars, and <laughs> we traveled to, um, we traveled through Amsterdam. And then when I changed the money there, we got to the ape and we had to eat. So I changed the money in there. They gave me, I think they gave me like 70 or 80 euros or something. Like, anyway, by the time that I got to Singapore, all I had left in my pocket was like $18. <laughs> <laughs> And I was, you know, I was talking to friends of mine and they said, but you didn't even think about it. I was like, no, you know, it's, it's one of the things that you don't think about it, but all the doors open for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I do it the other way that I really think about it, things don't go, you know, really well. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, people say you have to plan it all. Yeah, I understand that. But for me in life, a lot of time I've worked that when I'm, it's like an adventure that you just take it and, and everything goes well, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's something we do much easier, I think, when we're when we're nineteen. But sometimes you just have to go for it and and figure it out on the other side. Otherwise, you'll never do it. If you if you stopped and thought about it, yep. I can't, if I'm going to move to Singapore with eighteen dollars, if you thought about it for too long, you probably would have said no. Yeah, yeah, you just you, you went for it. If I had to do it now, when I'm, I'm thirty four now, it would be a different story, yeah. you know. I'll be I'll be. I think I think I was. Um, because Cuba was really close, we didn't have internet, we didn't have anything. I didn't know anything about anything out of Cuba. Uh -huh. So I went, you know, I'm gonna go. I mean, for me, it was, it was it was an experience. You know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get out of Cuba, I'm gonna play in a different place, but I didn't know, I didn't even speak English at the time. So I go there and then it was a, you know, big step, I had to start learning, you know, this English, which, which is what they're speaking. It's kind of like English with, you know, it's, it's really, it's like a, a slang that I have in there. Yeah, this is Singlish. Singlish, yeah. So, so it sounds like English, but it isn't English? It's a mix of, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's English, but the way they speak is like English mixed with like Malay and a bit of um, Cantonese as well. And it's a bit of a, you know, mix in there. Okay. It's really interesting, yeah. 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 What, what happened next? And um, we were talking about the, uh, I guess, the difference between, yeah, playing in, in Cuba and, and making your way here mm -hmm. in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in the, the, I guess, the challenges that that presented and, and how you sort of uh, turned it into a regular thing that you do. For me, the, the, the biggest thing was, um, that was the first, the first experience I had on, on playing for people that had no idea of what's actually the real role type of music that we do in Cuba. Mm. So the club, what I was playing was Cuban, but we didn't play any Cuban music in there. It was basically like Latin pop. So we were playing all the Shakira, uh, J-Lo, you know, Jennifer Lopez, a bit of, you know, Beyonce and this. And, and for me, that was a, something that really hit me hard because I was coming from a culture where we didn't even play one cover song. You know, we, in Cuba, Cuba was that close that everybody was creating original music all the time, you know. And, and it wasn't even about because there was no money in there, nobody actually would actually think much of our money. Everybody was like, it was a, a day by day thing, you know, let's actually get together, let's write music, let's. That's really interesting. I want to ask you about that. It, that it sounds like a, a very, like a starkly different idea of, of get the reasons to perform, the reasons to make music. When in, you know, in the, in the Western world, like 
the question I hear all the time is, okay, well, how do you make money out of that? How much are you going to get paid for that? Mm-hmm. The Just the urge or the drive to make something, to come together with people and all be you know, making something, sharing and something together is the, sort of the secondary thing here. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it was different in, in, in Cuba. It was because we didn't have a game. I mean, I guess if they had opened Cuba the same way that the whole world was open, mm. for some people it's not even that open. I mean, I find I come across a lot of people that they don't like at all uh, that kind of mentality of, you know, before you do something or how much money I'm going to make out of this, you know. Like some people go, why don't you make art first and then you worry about the rest. But then uh, I actually see the side of people saying, well, you have to worry about how much you're going to make because you have to pay the bills and you have to do this and you have to... So what I learned, I mean, the biggest thing I learned out of that was that it's really important to have a balance in life where you can actually say, you know what, I'm going to create, I'm going to do what I want to do and find a way also where I can live and make a living out of that without compromising the art, you know, the, the side. Because at the end of the day, I come across a lot of people, even producers, you know, friends of mine producing that they actually recognize that a lot of the music that they're making these days, it's, it's, it's kind of like you make it today and in two, in, in two weeks' time there's a new song and then that's it. You know, nobody will listen to that anymore. It's not something that stays for, you know, generations and generations as the music of legends that we all know, like, you know, when you listen to Stevie Wonder's music or, or you know, any of those great musicians yeah. that would stay there forever, you know? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. I mean, on my opinion, I mean, I don't, I don't know. No, I mean, that's 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 a whole interesting topic to to, to, to get into and, and dissect is is the, the the changed nature of how we consume, I guess, media in general, be it music, be it film, be it that the, the turnover of, of stuff is so fast these days that things sort of exist for a couple of weeks, mm. have their moment, and then disappear. I think we're lucky if it exists for a couple of weeks. I think a lot of the yeah. things like, you know, they are and then the next day it's like Yeah, I mean and, and this it was a, a re, it was a, a very interesting experience for me because at the same time I was the stuff that I never liked, I started liking it. And and I got to the point that I was like, well is it a good thing that I'm liking this? Because that can also mean that I'm getting into something that is that shouldn't really be getting, you know, be getting into it. Oh, you felt like bad for liking the pop music that you were playing? Well, not so much a pop. I mean, there's good pop, but I was liking stuff that um, you didn't really have to think that had to make. Sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. And and it's like what happened. I mean, in, in your in your world, it's like what happened when people talk about TV series that you don't really have to think. You're mm-hmm. sitting there and you go like, oh, this is amazing, but. How much are you really learning? How much are you really getting out of that? Yeah, I mean, and there's—I don't think you know, there's nothing wrong with just enjoying stuff because it's fun and it's easy. Exactly. Um, but I guess ideally for me, you know, I, I like something that's that sits in the middle. You know, yep. even if it is just entertaining and fun, I, yep. I like to. Unless something's going to move me or make me think about something, maybe it plants a question in my mind yep. and leaves me thinking about it. So we, I mean, we're talking about I like these tangents we're going on, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to. To, to, to why this, the central question of this. And um, if we're talking about, I guess, things disappearing quickly, maybe not having the longevity that we feel like mm-hmm. they used to, mm-hmm. I guess that's where the importance of live performance comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know you as a, as a live musician. There's two questions. Is that primarily what your, your time is focused on, is, is live performance? And I don't know, can you speak on the the importance of, of live music 
as a thing that exists in the world. We just had a year go by where we weren't allowed to go see live music. Mm. How did that impact you? And uh, that's three questions now. That's three questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think in general, everything that happened with the COVID stuff, for example, I have friends all, over, all, all around the world. And it was a funny thing because I remember the internet goes, went crazy with a lot of good projects, you know? To the point that a lot of people were saying so much good stuff out there that I can't handle anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was overloaded. You know, and I think we all learned that um, in a, in a tough situation like what we went through, that's when we create the match. You know, and that's when we're more honest uh, when we're creating because that's that's one of the things as well. When you're working a lot and you're making you know good living out of it or, or whatever, sometimes we. What we do that we're supposed to lower, we actually turn it into something that is like this is a formula. Let's just do this because it's the easiest thing to do. And 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 you know, a lot of the times I play gigs that are the worst gigs, but I get paid the most. You mm-hmm. know, and, and and a lot of the times the gigs that give me the most satisfaction are the ones that I hardly make any money out of it. Sure. I don't know if the same thing happened to to you. You know, but oh sure, you, I get I get paid for to make the stuff that is. I guess the least creatively satisfying, mm. but then that balances out with, I guess, you know, the, the ones that are yeah, most creatively satisfying are probably, probably end up costing me money. But yep. I guess that's just the, the balance that you look mm. for mm. choosing this, this path in mm. life, you know, let's talk about money, the work side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find that balance in life, in your particular life right now? For me, the main thing was actually not saying yes to everything, you know, not, not saying yes to every single gig, for example. I mean, if we're talking about gigs, I, I, in Singapore, I was at a point that I was just saying yes to everything, you know, apart from the, the job that I was doing there. And what happened was there was a day where I said, and I was like, I found that I wasn't getting interested on, on listening to like good music anymore. And for me, that was a disease, you know, that was, I was, I was feeling, I need to actually stay, you know, take a step back in this and just reconnect with like, you know, where I come from and like my roots, the music that I like. And that was the time where I met my wife, which is from, from Adelaide. And we started planning for me to come to Australia. And then when I come to Australia, it was a completely different situation. We came to Melbourne and then I started seeing all these incredible pro- music projects in there. The, a lot of them were my friends that I used to play in Latin bands as well. Um, I mean, when I spent a bit of time in, the, in, in Melbourne. And the beautiful thing was that they were doing things that they were loving. And at the same time, they managed to get people to get into the world and say, look, we don't have to actually do something that we don't love. I mean, we're going to create music that we love and we're going to make you come into our world and enjoy what we do and educate yourself a bit in, in, in that way, you know? And and it was a beautiful thing, you know? Because uh, a lot of the other musicians that I hang out with, they used to say to me something like, oh, you know, like, you have to follow the standards of the industry, you know? If they say that the song had to be three minutes, it had to be three minutes, you know? Otherwise, they don't put it on the radio. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, that that's... You can sort of find a balance, but at the same time, I think it kills a lot of things. I mean, if you have an idea that goes for five, six minutes, why would you actually cut that and, and make a song that is just three minutes because the standard says that it had to be three minutes, you know? Sure, sure. I'm, I'm gonna ask you questions as a, as a complete layman because 
again, the, the, the music world is, is very foreign to me. I'm, I'm a fan, but I'm not a participant. So when you're looking at a life in music, it sounds like there are different avenues with, that you can focus on. If you want to go down that radio commercial side of things, that's almost like one, one path. The making a living as a live musician feels like the riskier path, path but perhaps the more creatively satisfying, mm-hmm. perhaps good for your soul in particular. Mm-hmm. Was that ever a deliberate choice you made? For me, it was was what I was doing um, since I started working back in my country. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people doing great things. You know, and from I mean, when I see bands like um, just to give you an example, you know, bands like Snacky Puppy or even like bands that are doing cowards music and they re- that's, that's one thing. You know, I mean, you're playing cowards, and I know bands that they actually take cowards and they rearrange and they made the cowards their own. You know, they made their own version of it, and and I respect that. You know, but what would you try to do something that somebody else did exactly the same way that the person did? I mean, wouldn't you put you know a bit of your creative side into that and say I'm going to turn this into my thing, you know, yeah, even though, flavor in it in yeah, um, yeah, that's that's for me my my venture when it comes to that, and it's harder. I don't know if you see. I don't know if I should say a price to you know be paid for it because I mean everything, as I said, is a balance. You know, sometimes yeah. you do things, but um, for me the ideal thing is just doing something that I'm first. I'm honest. And I want to be following things that is like, you know, this is formula, I will follow that because I know it works. I just want to be honest with what I do. And if I get, I mean, always, even when I'm playing, if I get two people, I actually should feel proud of that and say, you know what, there's two people that are following me for what I am mm-hmm. and for what I'm doing, mm-hmm. not for what the industry says that you have to do, you know? That's, a, that's I, I like that. The, the if, if two people respond to it, that's good. That that leads me to my next question, and I'm always interested in like the the, the moments that make it all worth it. You know, it it can be a real hard slog a lot of the time, but for me personally, I'll, there are, there are a couple of memories I have, or a couple of like real high points in my in my life of pursuing what I pursue that sort of get me back on track and make me sort of refall back in love with it. What was the best gig you ever played, or do you have a moment or two? being on stage that you're like, yes, this is why I do this. I think one that comes to, well, I have a few, sure. but I mean, one that comes to my mind is um, Warm Adelaide, I think it was 2000 and, where what? Yeah. 2016, and they brought um, Diego El Cigala, which is uh, an amazing singer, he's from Spain, and basically what he's done is he, he started singing, he became really popular, um, by a, an album that he did with Bell Ades, which is the, the father of the band director of the uh, Era Kera, which is the Q1 band I was talking to oh, you originally. Amazing. what a great connection. Yeah. So they make a, they got together um, to make an album and they were gonna, I mean, he was, they picked like Q1 songs and then this guy from Spain said to the piano player, but how am I gonna sing these songs? I'm not from Cuba. And the piano player said to him, look, I just want you to be the flamenco singer that you are. I just want you to be the Spanish guy you are. I'm gonna play the piano the Cuban way, you know, because I'm Cuban. Yeah. I don't want you to be something that you are not. Anyway, they made this album called Larimas Negras, which makes Black Tears. And it was a total success, you know. I mean, they started traveling all around the world. Everybody loved the album. It was really good. 
um, versions of classic Cuban songs. Anyway, Wormat brought uh, Diego Sigala. And I remember I was in the crowd because I was playing, and the same year I was playing in Walmart with a band from Melbourne. And I was watching him playing those songs, and there was something inside of me that I felt like I, I needed to be on the stage with him. And it wasn't, it was nothing about getting paid or this or that. You know, it was just like I felt he was doing the key one songs that I grew up with that I love, and I wasn't with him, you know, on the stage. Anyway, he finished. He was playing Friday and Saturday. He finished a concert and then I ran because I had the, the backstage pass. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I ran and, and at, when I got inside, he was actually coming off the stage. Yep. And I talked to him in a really Cuban way. I, I didn't try, you know, I said to him um, a word that we say which is acere, which is, means like, you know, it's like kind of saying buddy or my friends. And, yep. and he turned right away and he's like, oh, you're Cuban. I said, yeah, I'm Cuban. Anyway, I said to him, look, I was watching you playing then and, and I had this feeling inside of me that I, I, you were playing, you know, my favorite songs from Cuba, and I wasn't in the stage with you. And he said to me, "Why, you know, why weren't you? Like, weren't wow. you?" Uh, anyway, he had a, a concert the following day. He said to me, "You know, what do you play?" I said, "Trumpet." He's like, "Bring the trumpet, you know, we're gonna play with, without rehearsal or anything, you know." And it was a funny story because his uh, musical director was a bass player, which was Cuban. And and when he found out that Sigala, the singer, wanted me to play, the musical director didn't really agree with that because he was like, you know, I don't I don't know him. I never seen him play, and I have a lot of respect for him for standing on the line and saying, look, if I don't know you, I don't gonna put you on a stage that like you can easily ruin whatever you know whatever what we've been doing. And Sigala, it's like it's like. A, a, He's gypsy. He just turned his back. You know, I remember he actually um, lighted a cigarette. He just turned his back and talked to the stage manager. He just put a microphone to him just right next to me, and he didn't care what the music director said to him. Anyway, at the end, he got me to play. I didn't even know what song I was going to play, and he got me to play Lagrimas Negras, which was the main song of the album and was the song that makes them really famous around the world. And it went really, really well. I mean, I still got the videos that, and I watch it, and it still gives me goosebumps for the whole energy of what happened in there. You know, I have goosebumps right now just listening to this story. Oh man, it was it was a very um, magical moment. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, you just went for it. Yeah, you, and just, you just followed your, your instinct, and you just went for it. Again, one of those things that I, I didn't really um, think that much. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. You know, if I, if I plan in a different way, it wouldn't happen. You know. Gosh. Well, I hope anybody listening to this right now um, takes that to heart. There's, there's two examples right there of just following your gut and just going for it. What's the worst that could happen? You get kicked exactly, out of Singapore yeah. or someone says no. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one. And then the other one was a, a, a concert that happened to me here, actually here in Nexus. Wow. So one of the first concerts we did, it wasn't, it wasn't really busy. And then one of the, the the person that came to the concert, they brought, um, she brought her mom and she had Parkinson. And she said that, she said, when I finish a concert, I play one of my original tunes, which is a really slow song. And she came back to me when I, when I finished a concert, she said to me, look, I've never seen my mom reacting to the music while she's been sick, the way she was. Apparently the mom was crying and, and was really into it, you know? And she said, look, this for me was a life change to see how the music can help, you know? And and I was like, you know, it makes you understand how important it is to do music with, so being honest when you're doing something and, and, and it's even better when you see that you play and then that's 
something in somebody else, you know? Absolutely. You know? Wow, those are two very different experiences too, aren't they? One with a massive stage, massive crowd, mm-hmm. big sort of rock and roll experience. The other one is, yeah, the mm. connection with a, with a single audience mm. making all the difference. That's beautiful. I, that's such a high note to sort of um, start to wrap up on. Something, a, a reason I wanted to, to start this podcast um, is because I've got a real privilege working here. I get to meet people like yourself and artists of all different backgrounds and, and career levels and mediums. And I get to sort of chat with them about you know, their practice and what keeps them going and what inspires them. And I kind of wanted to share some of that uh, with the listeners out there. And my hope is that there are people uh, listening to this who have always wanted to try something or have always felt, you know, a drive within them, but for whatever reason they didn't learn when they were young or life gets in the way, you know, and they never picked up that pen or they never picked up a trumpet. Is there anything you would say advice-wise or anything to someone out there who just wants to start learning an instrument or wants to, wants to, to pick up a trumpet for the first time and give it a go? Well, I would say, um, I would say for me, I mean, music, it's, you don't, you don't even need an instrument to, to let the music, you know, the music is in you. Now, I think the main thing is just be honest with yourself. I mean, it might sound like a cliche and say, follow your heart, but the, but the truth is like, it won't, nothing will be better than you actually, you know, following your heart. And, and I mean, you know, you will know better than nobody else what's the right instrument to play. But if, if, I mean, if somebody wants to pick up the trumpet and do it, I think it's a, the first thing they need to know is a really hard instrument. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and I tried to play the saxophone. Yeah. So it's the hardest. <laughs> well, trumpet is a really hard instrument to play, and they will have to they get a lot of time to it. So the only way you're going to be able to do something with that is if you actually have a passion for it, and you will put your time into it. But I think the way I see it, it goes beyond any instrument. I think, I think it's just a love, not even for music, for whatever you do in life, you should actually make sure that you love what you do. And that will give you a lot of satisfaction, you know. Couldn't agree more. Is there uh, anything else you wanted to, to add? Or? Well, thanks for inviting me. It's been, it's been great chatting with you here. And, and Where can people, if, if, people are, if people are interested in, in, in what you do, where can they find you on social media if they want to follow what you're doing? We'll post links as well, but you have music online, anything like that? I do, yeah. So my, my, I have one album and then quite a few um, single songs that are released and they're all in, in other platforms. Like if you find them in Spotify, Apple Music, they're there. And under so. Lazaro Numa. And there's actually an album that I did in Cuba in 2016. And it was a really interesting um, process because I went to Cuba to record the album. And I only had, uh, I was only gonna be there for 15 days or so a couple of weeks. And it happens that Fidel Castro uh, passed away when I was there, and then they actually call. They, they put a, a morning in the country for nine days, I think. So it was a really tough thing because nobody wanted to do anything. You know, every, everything shut everything was chat, you know. Right. Even private studios, everything was was chat. So I managed to um, record the album in a very sneaky way. I mean, I, I was recording <laughs> in a in a studio that was a garage, you know, like right. a basement. Yeah. And I actually got the master of the album the day I was leaving. I was like, I didn't even know if I was gonna be ready. You know, I was like, well, in the worst case scenario, I had to leave and, you know, try to get us, you know, in the afterwards. Sure. But I got it like, I think I got it like three or four hours before I had to go to the airport and leave. And yeah, that was a really, um, 
difficult time for me. <laughs> what a story! Wow. And you know, in Cuba, no, nothing runs in, uh, according to playing. I mean, uh-huh. everything is like in the moments. Sometimes we were recording in the studio, and then they cut the power. You know, because it's a really common thing in the that you recording, and there's no power. That's it. Wow. You know, for the whole city, no power. So we had to stop the recording, and and, and the musicians we just, we just said to me, just relax, you know, let's have a, <laughs> let's have a coffee. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just the way it is. It's it is way, don't stress, but you know, we were actually getting into like a really amazing conversations on that time, you know. So I, I learned that sometimes things don't go according to plan, but then you you come, you know, in different ways that are really incredible ways, you know. That's that is excellent advice to end on. Things don't always go to plan. No, you just go with it. Beautiful things can happen out of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Great. Well, thanks for thanks for coming in. Thank you. What a thank great you. what a great Friday morning this has been. Well, I hope you enjoyed and got something out of my conversation with Lazaro just now. If you're looking for up to date information on everything that's happening at Nexus Arts, just visit www.nexusarts.org.au. It's thanks to Arts South Australia's Recovery Fund that we are once again presenting our visual arts exhibitions online in 2021. Just head to nexusartsgallery.com to experience the work of all our amazing artists. We are thrilled to be partnering with Spark Brewery and Rose Kentish Wines this year. Come in and try a taste of their wares at Nexus Arts venue and be sure to seek out these amazing local socially responsible labels wherever you choose to have a drink. Also, special thanks goes out to We Made A Thing Studios for sponsoring us with the use of their podcasting gear. Head to wemadeathingstudios.com to watch some awesome South Australian-made films and web series. Until next time, thanks for joining us.